Good morning. Good morning. For those of you who knew me before, <laughs> let's just get it out of the way. If you're a guest, I'm sorry. I have completely changed my hair and it's okay to talk about it. <laughs> I never meant to become the poster not exactly child for this, but somehow, somewhere along the way, I did. So there we go. Let's go. All righty. So this morning, yeah, take a moment. It's good. Yeah, we're back. Back to preaching. So this morning, we are in the middle of a series about rhythms. How many of you feel like your life is perfectly balanced? You have plenty of time to do the things you love to do. Um, you feel rested when you come to Monday morning. Just generally, you get enough sleep, you eat well, you exercise, but you don't overdo it. Really? Like nobody? Well, then that would mean that you're a Westerner, wouldn't it? It would. I don't know, I've never lived in another place in the world, but I know that in every Western country I've ever been, we all describe ourselves as busy. Busy is the new fine. How are you? Busy. How have you been? Busy. How's your week? Busy. In fact, it's becoming boring. We're, we're going to stop saying busy, just like we had to stop saying fine soon. And our great desire in this church, and really our great desire as followers of Jesus, is to be people whose lives are only busy with what God wants us to be busy with. I do not believe that God calls us to lives that have more than we can handle, that are stressed out continually. Apart from when you have a new baby and under fives. I mean, seriously. I mean, it's been a while, but I do remember that. That was sort of a joke, but not really. So are you having a good summer? Are you having a good summer? I am having a great summer. This is cue for my photo. So I have spent a week in Mull, it'll come, and a week in Iona, and last weekend I went up and spent the weekend in Gerloch. Yes, indeed. Now that is evidence that just occasionally there is a sunny day in Scotland. That's it, I don't know where that is. Scott would be able to tell you, Iona, Mull, somewhere like that. And that's my dog, obviously. Well, maybe not obviously, but that's a dog, he's mine. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? How many of you have never been to the kind of highlands, west coast of Scotland? You've only seen the central belt, but oh, it gets so much better the further up you go, doesn't it? Yeah, and they all nod and it's absolutely beautiful. And the beaches look like that on sunny days. There is not another person on our beach. It was lovely. And you know, the Bible tells us that God created this beautiful and amazing planet. I actually find that logical. I don't find that difficult. I don't exactly know how long it took or how he did it. Personally, I'm not hung up on that, but I have no problem believing that our beautiful and amazing world full of tr amazing things like animals and human beings and plants and I have no problem believing that there is intelligence behind that, that there is a creation. And you know, the Bible begins the very first chapter of the very first book with the story of how God created it. And we see this amazing kind of planets and sun and moon and water and land and insects and birds and animals. And then the crowning glory, one could say, the very last thing God creates is human beings. 
amazing. I mean, if we're going to be absolutely pedantic about it, the very last thing God creates, the absolute crowning glory is women. But we're not going to do that this morning because I don't want to make anyone feel bad. Just saying it's in the Bible. In Genesis chapter one, we're going to read. Just verses 26 and 27. Many of you will be familiar with these. They are amazing. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness, so that they may rule over the fishes of the sea and the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move on the earth. God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are not just created beings. We, as human beings, are created in the image of God, the creator. I know it seems a lot, and I know you're not always like that on your worst days, but human beings are created in the image of God. Nothing else is created in the image of God, just us. And I think you see some of it in our creativity. We don't just like to survive, do we? I mean, at our, you know, at the bottom level, if all we can do is survive, that's what human beings do. But given any opportunity, human beings thrive. How do they thrive? They create, they make things beautiful, they solve problems, they have ideas, they make connections, they care. They go far beyond just surviving. And you see some of the creativity of God. I mean, what is the point of music? What is the point of paintings? What is the point of making this building beautiful? Why not just meet in a warehouse? There's no point if all you're aiming for is survival, but if you're aiming to thrive, then all of the creativity that spills out of human beings makes sense, including all our technology and our problem solving. And up until recently, I've been a, a PC user and I've had, I worked in IT for a long time, so I had a love-hate relationship, obviously, with PCs. And then I've had one ridiculously bad laptop after another in all the jobs I've been in. And just two weeks ago, I bought an Apple Mac. And I, yeah, I know, it's like a conversion experience. And I always said, well, I don't see the point in Apple Mac, it's far too expensive. Oh my goodness. Now I survived fine with my laptop, it did what I needed. But now I am having a whole new experience. I, I feel like a salesperson and they could give me commission but they won't because that's not what Apple do. And okay, it's a, a small example but I'm loving something that's beautiful. I was okay with something functional but we are programmed for more. Why am I laboring that? Because the people created in the image of God are meant to rule the rest of the planet. That's a bit scary, isn't it? When I say the word rule, we tend to think kind of empire and colonialism, going in and exploiting people and resources. But when God creates these people, these human beings that are going to rule the planet, how does he expect them to rule? Like him. Like the people that we are created, that God we're created in the image of. How does God rule? with justice, with kindness, with love. We could dive into Genesis 2 and you would see the remit to care and to tend and to look after the planet and everything in it. Are we doing a good job? No, that's not the point. The point here is that's what we're created to do. 
I won't, I won't be an too much of an environmentalist, but I would say it's still our remit and uh, we could do better. And we are also created for connection. Human beings are created to be connected to each other and to God. How do I know that? Because even the most introverted of us still needs some connection unless there is something very wrong. Babies, well, we all know it from some of the this, this stories of, of, of orphanages and so on in places where it's gone wrong. Babies who are not held often fail to thrive, don't they? Why? Because we're built even for physical connection. Now, I hope you understand these words, extrovert and introvert. Introverts recharge by being on their own, don't mind being with people, but they recharge more by being on their own. Extroverts recharge when they're around people, especially their kind of people, not just any people, but their kind of people, and they're not, they don't have such a need to be alone. And it's a scale, and I'm generalizing, but I quite like it. How many of you are married to someone who is the opposite of you? Okay, fantastic. How many of you are extroverts and you are married to someone who's quite introverted? Oh my goodness, they should come with a manual. They absolutely should. When, when I got married 27 years ago, yep, um, Scott, my husband, is absolutely lovely, but a, a very strong introvert. That means he has very little need for contact time with people and a massive need for being alone which is great. I am actually quite an extrovert, kind of like, not high end, but I am a reasonable extrovert. So when we got married, I sort of, I suppose I knew that, but we didn't, I mean, that's 27 years ago. People didn't speak about introverts and extroverts. And so we'd never heard of that. And we, we got married and um, we're in our, our little flat in Stockbridge and everything was great. Then regularly, about 10 o'clock at night, Scott would say to me, I'm just going to go out for a walk. And then he would just get up and go out. And half an hour later, he would come back, be very happy. And I'd be like, what have I done? What have I done? Why has he not invited me? What's happening here? Why does he need to be alone? Where is he going? What's he doing? And, and quite often, um, and those of you who know my husband will smile at this, quite often he'd come back and he'd say, oh, that was absolutely great. I just was praying. It was lovely. Sat down on a park bench. Someone sat down. I was able to share my faith with them. I was absolutely great. Prayed for somebody. And I'd be like, okay, so there's not much I can say about that then. But inside, for weeks, I'm like, what's happening here? And eventually I had to sit him down and, you know, with tears and say, so, you know, young wife, I'm like, why do you never ask me to go with you? And he was kind of like, because that's kind of the point. <laughs> now, now I've been married for 27 years, I know fine well what it means when Scott says, I'm going out for a walk. And it's absolutely fine. But even Scott needs connection. And he, he is an extreme introvert. He needs connection. We are built for some level of human connection. And I believe we are also built for connection with God. You know, it's interesting that the Bible tells us that Jesus saves us. That's what it says. It says, you know, anyone who calls on Jesus' name will be saved. If we make Jesus the boss of our life, we will be saved. What? Now, some of us, okay, if you are living in poverty or struggling with addiction, you might think, oh yeah, I have something I need saved from. But you know what? That's not what it's talking about. What the Bible says, 
I'll just give you a quick, I mean, this is really cool. This is gonna be like the whole Bible in two minutes. What the Bible says is that this beautiful creation that God created became broken. And human beings as part of that also became broken and our relationship with God, which we were originally designed for, got broken. And we know that, we know that, we feel that. But then the Bible says that what Jesus Christ did, Jesus as God came to earth, lived this perfect life, then sacrificed that life so that you and I could be rescued from being broken people whose relationship with God was disconnected and broken. That's a very simplified version, but you know, it is really quite simple. And that when I could say Jesus saves me, the word saves is really interesting. What it means is made, made whole or makes whole. Jesus doesn't save me as in just rescue me and put me somewhere. He makes me, he makes us whole. What does that mean? He starts to restore us back to who we were created to be. Those first people who were gonna rule the planet, who were gonna tend and care for it, they were meant to do that together with God. They were meant to regularly check in with God as a partnership, as a relationship. We were designed for that relationship and we were designed to live out of that relationship. And when it was broken, a lot of bad stuff happened. Well, look at our planet for a start. We've made an absolute mess of it. Why? Because we broke or our relationship with our creator was broken. And the absolute joy of being a follower of Jesus is that we are made whole a little bit more every week than we were last week if we just keep following him. And then we become agents of restoration. Agents of restoration, that sounds good, doesn't it? Let's have a read of Psalm 139 and just sit in that for a minute. I'm gonna read a whole 18 verses of it to just give you an insight into the closeness of the relationship that there is meant to be with us and God. So Psalm 139, starting in verse one, says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depth, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for the darkness is as light to you. For you created me, sorry, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was created in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. 
how vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. And that song was written by a man who, David was called a man after God's own heart. He really knew what it was to be in a close relationship with God. He understood that God had created him right from the moment of conception, that God knew everything and yet loved him anyway. Because if you're anything like me, you need to be known and loved anyway, in spite of, not normally because of, you're probably not like me. And he says that even before one of my days came to be, you knew all of them. I can't quite imagine that. There's this relationship that we are built for that when it is not in place, we feel its absence often. Pascal, who was a famous mathematician and philosopher said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. I became a Christian when I was 18 years old and I think between about 14 and 18, there was just something in me that said, I am made for something. I'm, I'm meant to do something with my life. It's meant to mean something. And, and I was doing fine and I was smart and I was at school and doing all the things that nice middle-class girls do. But, but I, I had this sense of some, and I, I now know it was God. It was the vacuum. I was looking inside and thinking there's something missing. And when I became a Christian, that was filled. My life has not all been easy since then. It's just been a life, like one of your lives, good bits, bad bits. But I've never had that sense of empty, empty like I did when I was a young teenager. And many Christians would attest to that. We're made to be in connection. And yet even when we have chosen, yes, I'm gonna follow Jesus, and we've chosen to pursue a relationship with God, it's not always easy. Why? Because no relationships are easy, not with people like us, because human beings are broken. And uh, if you've been married for a while or you've had a child, you'll know relationships, even close relationships, that the closer they are, the more complicated they often are. So this relationship with God, though things will get in the way. The good news is that God is perfect, this creator, he loves us. So it's, it's just gonna be us that's the problem. And you know why that's good news? And if you're married, this is the best piece of advice ever. You can't change your partner, but you can change yourself. So we don't need to change God. All we need to do is change ourselves, and that changes our relationship. And a lot of things can get in the way, and um, I'm just gonna highlight three of them today. They get in the way of communion with God. Communion is that place of closeness where we are communing and being together. I think one of the main things that gets in the way is we don't know God, we're not sure what he's like. You know when you first meet someone and you think, oh, I think you might be like a nice friend or you might be a good person to do business with, um, but you need to get to know them. Well, you do, well, when you're young, how many relationships do you run into, business or personal, and then think, whoops, if I'd known <laughs> what you were really like, I wouldn't have done that. But as we get older, we go, hold on a second, I would like to learn to trust you. So we make ourselves a little bit vulnerable or we you know, share something with someone and we see, can we trust you? 
And if we don't know God, that's difficult. How can you trust a God you don't know or a God we have ideas about, like we might think that God is cross or angry with us or maybe someone's given us a wrong idea. Great news, God has a whole book, the Bible, and you can go into the Bible and learn about God. And the great thing is the internet is full of people explaining the Bible. Yeah, you're gonna be a little bit discerning, but, but there's some lot of good stuff out there. And this is a great church full of people who could help any of us know God a bit better. There's, there'll be people in this church who know more about God than me and people that I know more about. So we can all get helped and be helpers and get to know God together. Cool. Here's probably a slightly more difficult one. I told you that Jesus makes us whole and that that being made whole is a process of transformation. And one of the reasons it's so necessary is the main thing I believe that gets in the way of our relationship with anyone but with God is wounds. Wounds, things people have done to us and stupid stuff that we have done that has wounded our soul. So for example, think of an example. So say you have a very critical parent or you grew up in a critical household, the chances are that over a period of time, you begin to believe something a bit like, I never quite get it right. And then you will probably go through the rest of your life in any and every scenario, no matter how affirming the people are around you, feeling like you don't quite get it right. And then you meet Jesus and you start to speak to God, but you have this sense with God that you never quite get it right. Is that because God believes you don't quite get it right? No, it's because we don't have a framework for being in a scenario where we would be accepted for who we are and loved and encouraged from that place. And that's just one example. But the wounds of life, including some of the stupid stuff we do to ourselves, things we get involved in, mistakes we make, ways we live that, you know, the Bible does say don't do this, that and the other for a reason, usually to save us from making a mess of it. But we do stuff and they cause wounds too. And so we are wounded souls. And the great thing about Jesus is as we learn about him and follow him and all the sort of bits that go along with that, we get transformed and those wounds begin to get healed. And what I always say to people when they're, you know, new Christians, I'll say, here is the bottom line of this. It is a lifelong journey. It's a long one. There's no quick fix. It's just a process over time of allowing the Holy Spirit to do whatever he needs to do next. I could talk about, I could have done that all on its own. I love that topic so much. And I would say the third one for us as Westerners, mentioned it at the beginning, is busyness. I'd say it was time, but time is not actually the problem because everybody has had 24 hours, seven days a week forever. We don't have less time. We just overfill our time, we overcommit, we've got too many choices, we find it hard to prioritize when there just feels like there's so much. And in some ways, that should be the easiest one. You'd think the process of the transformation of our soul would be the harder one. But actually for many of us, just actually prioritizing our time and, and taking time to build our relationship with God is just not something we find easy. Why is that? Well, 
you'll all no doubt have had at least one close relationship in your life. It wasn't made in 10 minutes, was it? If you think of the person in your life that you most trust, so if it's four in the morning and you're really sick and you think something's wrong and you need someone to, you're on your own and you need to phone someone to take you to the hospital, who's that person? Who's your person? When everyone else thinks you're doing okay and you're really not, who can, who can you tell? How long did it take for that relationship to build? See, good relationships take time, they take investment. But here's the great news. We've got lots of time, most of us, we've got time. And the great thing about God is, he's already perfect. We're only working on us. And if you give God a little bit of time, wow, it's this amazing investment. That first set of human beings as they endeavored to rule the planet. It says that basically, they, it says that they were walking with God in the cool of the day, it tells us at one point. And the word cool is the word wind, ruach or breath. It wasn't actually cool temperature wise, there was just this There was just a moment for them in every day where God came down and And out of that, they made a beautiful world. You know, sometimes for those of us who are kind of activists and doers, we can think that taking t spending time to just be with God, like, it's fine, but like, what am I actually achieving? But out of that moment comes some of the best things that you're ever going to do. Oh, I'm running over time. Oh, I'll tell you one story. So my husband, Scott, great joy of being an introvert is he spends loads of time on his own and he's a tremendous prayer and a tremendous communer with God, disappears for hours. And out of that, he is, yeah, I am a little biased, but he is one of the most amazing people I know for just hearing the Holy Spirit and going and doing ridiculous things. And he was, um, he's just recently been visiting a, a gentleman in our community who's not part of our church, but just kind of around. He has a relationship with God, sort of. And he's about, oh, it's about 88 or something. And um, he's housebound and he has been for weeks and Scott's been visiting him and just chatting with him. And then he said a couple of weeks ago, I, he just went and he's a very proper gentleman. We're not quite sure how he ended up in press and pans, but anyway, there we are. But he's very proper and he said, oh, he said, I'm just so terribly, terribly ill and terribly, terribly in pain. And Scott said, can I pray for you? And Scott said, he said, when I prayed for him, he said, I knew something was going to happen. Like, even if I thought that, I don't know if I'd admit it, just being honest. Scott did, he's like, he's told loads of people, he's like, the Holy Spirit just came into the room and he said, I just knew something had happened. And the next day, um, the gentleman phoned him up and said, oh, I won't do his posh accent, even though I'm like, where I live, I am posh, just saying. Um, and he said, Scott, you will not believe it. 17 weeks I have been housebound, 17 weeks I've spent every minute of every day in pain. And since you prayed for me, I have been pain free and mobility is coming back. Now that doesn't happen when I'm an activist. That happens in the life of someone who knows you need to take time to be with God so that when it's needed, 
you know how to step into what the Holy Spirit says. Because my husband is the absolute opposite of a shepherd, pastorally hearted person. When he started visiting this man, I was like, what? What? I mean, he just isn't. He's just not. But you hear when the Holy Spirit says, go here, go there, do this, do that. We all have a job to do. Where could you start? I have a little, I, a little practice that we're, um, you can go on our website and have a little podcast about this, but it's such a simple one. And it's so countercultural, but it's actually been practiced by Christians throughout the years. It's sitting in silence with God. That doesn't sound like much, does it? <laughs> Except we don't sit in silence much, do we? In fact, we just don't even have silence, many of us, for much of our life. But there is something about getting alone and being silent. Yes, there's a place to pray, to pour things out. There's a place for worship music. There's a place for all those things. But there's also just a place for sitting expectant, but not demanding, just expectant of God. And it's certainly something um, Christians have been practicing for years, just regular times of silent sitting. I can't believe I got this topic to preach on, but I find this the hardest of all the things that I try to do, but I still try to do it. Every day I try, I'll sit in my chair. I have to put a timer on to make myself not get up and do something. But out of that, what I have found is that as I go off into my day, there is something of the that stays inside of me. I can't explain it. Something of the place where I just let God be and I wasn't trying to do or think or plan or check my phone or... And I'm talking about five minutes here. I'm not talking about hours. Let's try it now for one minute. It's even more awkward because we're in a room, which is good because you know what? Silence is awkward for lots of us. See, if you're sitting there thinking silence is not awkward, oh, please help the rest of us. We need you. But for the vast majority of us, it will be. So let's just take one minute to sit. And I'd encourage you to perhaps, um, if you need to shut your mind off, focus on breathing. You might want to focus on a, a, a scripture or a, visualize something completely, whatever it's up to you, but you're, you're sitting in silence, mind quietened, focused on Jesus, just for one minute. Imagine what it would look like for the next week to do that for five minutes every day. And that's the wee challenge this week, to get alone and be silent just for five minutes. 
Not to speak, but just to listen. So I'll leave that with you. So I've said a lot, and um, just to give us a moment to respond. Um, for some of you, you're thinking, yeah, this is great. I have a great relationship with God. I've been transformed over the years. It's just great. Da, da, da. Brilliant. There's never been, I don't believe, a time in history where it's been more needed that you pass that on to the people that are around you, how to have a good relationship with God. If some of you are thinking, I don't know if I do have a good relationship or I'd like, you know, I feel like it's, it's never been like some of those people or those people, that's okay. That will simply mean that something is blocking it because there is no possibility that you just happen to be a person who's not going to be able to connect with God. That's not possible because you're a human being created in the image of God to be in connection. But if you're someone who feels a bit of distance or you've just been feeling a bit of distance recently, then the chances are there's a blockage of some kind. And this will be a beautiful moment as we go into worship and we're gonna take bread and wine be a lovely moment to bring that before God and say, God, this is, this is how it's feeling for me at the moment. I hear what that woman's saying, but this is my reality. And see what might happen in that space, what might pop up into your head. Maybe this is the moment to embark on the healing for your soul that you know you need. Maybe this is the moment to take some radical steps in how you make more time. I don't know. You'll know what your thing is. And you know, we don't have a formal ministry team in the summer, but as we're doing bread and wine and as worship is going on, if you'd love someone to pray for you, then ask the people around about you. You can come and ask me. Andy's here. He's good. Liv will be playing the guitar. We've got Gareth over here. Gareth, black t-shirt, glasses. He's one of the elders. There's, there's lots of people. There's like lots of... Eddie is here. He's one of the elders. Eddie's wife's amazing. There's absolutely brilliant people here. So just get some... And if you want to know who to get to pray for, I would send you in direction. But if you feel I need someone to come alongside me, I feel a little jagged after hearing that, then don't go without being prayed for. And I just want to introduce the bread and wine before I go and then let the, the band... Do band come on up. So bread and wine, if, if you're not used to that, is something Christians all over the world have been doing forever. And it's a way we, all over the world, in all sorts of churches, it's a way that we remember Jesus. And it's a way that we together connect with him and remember that he is the one who made us whole. That he died, he chose to allow himself to be killed a horrible death and he lay in a grave for three days and then he rose from the dead and that his resurrection power is the thing that makes us whole. And in bread and wine, of all the things that we do as Christians, no, I don't know if there's another one that shouts out, look at what Jesus has done. It's, not, it's never gonna need to be something you do for yourself. He is gonna do this like bread and wine. So we'll have... I don't know, people around the room, I guess. And yeah, Ellie's on it. So Father, I thank you. I thank you for how you made us. And God, this morning, however we're feeling after hearing that, whatever we're feeling about our relationship with you, I pray for each one of us that this is a moment to start stepping closer towards you to experiencing more of that deep communion.